Welcome to the OA Serenity Sunday Meeting Podcast. Serenity Sunday is now hybrid, meeting in person at Roxbury Park in Beverly Hills and on Zoom. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroups webpage at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live in either iteration. Now that we're meeting in person, Serenity Sunday has regular meeting expenses and would appreciate Seventh Tradition donations to help support the meeting and this podcast. You can donate via Venmo at Serenity Sunday. Last four digits of the phone number are 6255 or through PayPal, Serenity Sunday 1212 at gmail.com. The opinions expressed on the Serenity Sunday podcast are those of the individual speaker and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. And now, our speaker. Okay, now it is time for me to qualify for 20 minutes. Who is the timer? Kelly, could you give me 555? Five, five? Okay, usually I, I'm just not quite as uh, precise, but I decided today I want to talk five minutes about my time before OA, five minutes about my first 20 years when I had some recovery, five minutes about my recovery till the pandemic hit in 2020, and the last five, what I've been doing since then. So, hi, I'm Roberta. I'm a grateful recovered compulsive overeater and so happy, so happy to be here in person. I went to the car this morning and in the trunk were my pictures that I used to carry to meetings. And they look a little the worse for wear. I don't know what happened to them. A little more faded just being in the trunk for two, two and a half years. I will start them in a minute. My sidekick, Kathy, is giving me instructions. Okay, so what it was like a long time ago. I um, think I was born a compulsive overeater. I remember lying about who ate the cupcakes when I was five or six, you know, always blaming you. It was never me. And uh, so many, so many times um, that that happened. I learned how to lie and cheat and steal uh, because I started with the food. I couldn't own that that's what I did. You know, whether I went there for comfort or because I didn't know another way to respond. Food was a big part of our lives. Grew up in a Jewish family where food was synonymous with God. I don't know. I think that food was food preempted God, uh, <laughs> especially uh, brisket and, and uh, deli. <laughs> I know there was an exhibit at the Skirball in deli, Jewish delis. I didn't get there, but I'm sure I'm sure I lived there. And uh, so my first, uh, you know, 40 years of my life. Food was an issue. In sixth grade, they yelled across the gym, 125 pounds. Uh, in eighth grade, I was 213 pounds. So my aunt took me to these studios where they had these um, machines that worked on your fat. And you know, it's funny because my husband just ordered some sort of a contraption <laughs> that reminded me of it. He, he puts it on his uh, torso and it like stimulates. And I, I just, it took me back to the 50s when I was uh, 
being my, measured, such humiliation, being measured how my arms and my thighs, oh my gosh. So I was always a successful dieter, I lost 20, gained back 30. And that was the way it was. Um, you know, finally did get some success dieting, became a Weight Watcher leader, and that lasted for a short period because, you know, it was always about the food. We never went deeper. And um, so I got to the point with the eating that I couldn't stop. I would be buying the half gallons of ice cream and buying all my binge foods and eating it and wanting to stop and knowing how miserable it made me. And I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop eating as much as I resolved not to do it, to wake up the next day and it would be different. It never was different. Or if it was, it was for a short period. I was a great dieter, but I didn't understand that you have to change your whole your whole way of living, your whole way of thinking. So when I came into OA in uh, 1979, I was approaching my 40th birthday and I didn't want to be fat and 40, that little <laughs> expression that they had. And um, I remember taking out life insurance because you didn't have to get a physical. Somebody actually came to the house and a, a nurse, I guess, and did a few perfunctory things. And I took out life insurance at the age of 39 because I know that this, this is a deadly disease. And I'd have fantasies, you know, if I could just stay this weight, you know, 220 pounds and just, if, but I could never stay at any weight, whatever the weight. I was either going up or down. I didn't know how to maintain a weight. I could buy something on Friday and by Monday I couldn't close the button. Uh, that's how fast I gained weight because I ate with revenge. I ate with a, you know, an intensity. Um, and I've, I've come to learn that it's a form of self-hatred, that eating and that punishing. Oh, now you went off your diet, so you might as well just go crazy. All that kind of thinking was just such, such destructive um, self-hatred. And thank God this program showed me love. Thank you. So I came in and I went to a meeting and my dentist was the one who 12-stepped me. I had the worst teeth because of the candy and because of the not taking care of it. Because, you know, by the end of the day, who felt like brushing my teeth? I mean, I just wanted to stay with the taste in my mouth and I was too tired. So very, very poor self-care. So um I was uh, 240 pounds. My dentist suggested I go to Overeaters Anonymous. And uh, I loved it from the start because it took away my blame and myself, you know, my beating myself up. You know, you're so smart. How come you can't get a handle on this? So it told me that I had a disease and I loved it. And I got into the big book and I got into the 12 and 12. We didn't have our OA 12 and 12. Yeah. Um, but when that came out in the 80s, I love it because it talks about food and that's specific to me. And as good as the big book is and as much as I relate to it, to me, it's not 100 percent. I can't 100 percent substitute food for alcohol. It doesn't work. Uh, there are some things that are different. So I love the step book. Um, OK, so I'm in OA. 
and they talked about God and that was uncomfortable. And I kind of came in an agnostic, you know, as I said, we were Jewish, but we didn't really worship God. It was more about going to temple and who wore what and what what was the sermon about and did you see and you know it just wasn't it wasn't spiritual for my growing up many people do have a spiritual background and that's wonderful but because of this program i now have a spiritual way of life and it's beautiful and it includes my Judaism and it includes what I've learned about other religions and Buddhism and all the great uh all the great teachings in the world all the great philosophies so it's kind of a a very broad uh god god of my understanding is very broad it's outside and inside so in the in the early 80s, I lost my 100 pounds. I went on the star speaker journey, and that lasted about a year and a half till I had my extra string bean. And that started <laughs> 20 years of you're not good enough. You're abstinent. You broke your abstinence again. So I started, I was on blue sheet. I went to a stricter food plan, a gray sheet. And I was always thinking the food plan was going to do it. And a new sponsor who was more strict, who, you know, it just never worked. It just, I was looking out there for the problem, uh, for the solution. And the solution is always within. It's like Dorothy says in The Wizard of Oz, or the, the wizard says, you know, you can go home anytime you want to. We have that intuitive part of us where we, the best of us, and that's the God spark. And when I can um, zoom in on that and uh, focus on that, I, I behave in a way that's a lady of grace and dignity, and I approve of this, uh, this person. So um, for those first 20 years after I lost the initial 100 pounds, I then uh, spent, um, you know, 20 years a little recovery, a little relapse, never gained back the entire hundred, gained back 50. And that was kind of my, you know, I was about 190 pounds and I get down to 170 and then I go back up and, and a lot of fellowship. We went out to lunches and, and some of my original OA friends, we now through Zoom, I mean, Zoom has been a wonderful addition to my program because I got to hear people from all around the world and I got to reconnect with my friends from 40 years ago. So we Zoom every month and uh, and I that's, that's very precious to me. So I made a lot of friendships. I did a lot of step work. I went to four or five meetings a week. I went to uh, Al-Anon, I went to Emotions Anonymous. When Bill B came in to do a big book workshop, I went to that. I went to conventions, the Concord every year. It was a great OA time. I mean, we had a thousand people at the Concord. We ate them at baked apples. <laughs> the candy machines were empty. I mean, people were in all stages of recovery. Thank you. So that was my first uh, 20 years in OA. And then in 2002, I had retired already from teaching, and I'm thinking, well, where is this wonderful life that I always thought I would have? And it wasn't. It was, oh, another day. I'm getting up, and I struggled with the food a lot of the time. 
And I read an outside book that said, when were you happiest in your life? And for me, it was when I was in my early years of OA in the 80s, when I made these deep connections with people, when we did things together, when I felt apart. You know, I didn't get into my high school sorority. I didn't get into my college sorority, but I got into the OA sorority because you're a member if you say you are. And if you come and if you show up, we love you and we, we embrace you. So... Um, in 2002, I just said, I am at my spiritual bottom. It wasn't a physical bottom, but it was a spiritual bottom because God was not something that I, um, that I had clearly. And I vowed to, to connect with a higher power, to look into it. What is it? I was hoping for a Jewish sponsor, but I got a Catholic sponsor and she was the best thing that could have happened to me because she had me start writing what I want God to be. And it was all about love and forgiveness and mercy. And, and, and she had me write all these words about what God is to me. And I, and I got a, an idea of, of a God that I could really rely on and depend on and could help me through these tough times. And um, I was always willing to write down my food and I did. And at that time, um, it was a little restrictive. I didn't have red light foods. I don't know why. I guess because of my defiance. I feel like if I say I can't have it, I'm going to keep inching closer until, boom, the rubber band breaks. Um, so I didn't have any red light foods. But I remember, I mean, I did stay away from sugar uh, and um flour a lot of the time. But every night I wrote down, I'm having a Tootsie Pop. And I don't encourage that. I mean, it's wasted calories and it's not particularly good for your teeth, which now I have implants thanks to modern dentistry and uh, <laughs> a lot of money. But I was very lucky that uh, because I work for the city of New York, I have a nice pension. And um, so there I am. And, um, you know, just realizing that I, I need it's a spiritual malady, like it says on page 66 in the big book. I think it's 66. I, I've lost a little bit of my ability to remember specific pages, but it says when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And that's where the emphasis was for me. I connected with God. I learned how to pray. I learned how to meditate. We would go to nursing homes to bariatric uh, patients. And before we went in, my sponsor would say, well, let's pray together. And I never knew how to talk to God. I learned how to talk to God from her, just asking, please, God, let us be able to pass on this miracle program so that people get some hope and encouragement. And, um, and that was wonderful. And then she got me to commit to doing it first thing in the morning. And even though it was five minutes or 10 minutes, but right now it's an hour. I love that hour in the morning. I get out of bed. I meditate for 20 minutes. I write my two-way prayer letter to God. I read some of our spiritual books. I, uh, I have a bunch of prayers. I have a prayer box because they grew so many, some from the big books, some from books I took out, like I took out books on meditation, Thich Nhat Hanh, and, and I incorporated everything. 
and I made it mine. And that's what I encourage you to do. For years, I went around, well, what do you do? And what do you do? And what do you do? And that really is not that helpful because you know intuitively, I know intuitively what I can eat, what I can't eat. And as long as I'm honest about it, it works for me. And I've had people tell me in this program that I'm killing the compulsive overeater because I say that I am a moderate eater now and I can eat everything. And at first I would take personally and how can they say that to me but I understand that for you for them they don't want to pick up that sugar or that flour because you never know where it's going to lead you thanks Kelly so in my remaining five I want to tell you how it's been since the pandemic because it keeps getting better and better so 2020 hit and um, right before the pandemic in February, I had the opportunity to go visit my sister, my beautiful younger sister who suffered from breast cancer and it had metastasized. And we spent a wonderful month together in February. And I came back to LA right before the uh, lockdown in March. Uh, she passed away in July. And right before she passed away, because she didn't have a 12-step program, but she just had an intuitive kindness and loving heart and let people be who they were. She wasn't trying to change anyone. And uh, she passed on a beautiful message to me. And at that time, I went to the region who had a convention and it was on Zoom. I think it was July 11th. And um, this wonderful man was speaking who was an OA person who was into meditation, and I became one of his groupies. <laughs> I love him. He taught me mindfulness meditation. I've been meditating for the last two years religiously, uh, several times a week with him. Then I joined a sangha because I heard at a meeting. I mean, I get all my ideas from meetings, so keep going to meetings. They're wonderful whether on Zoom or in person. I'm thrilled that I'm back in person now at Serenity Sunday. I hope more of you will come and join us. Roxbury is a little bit of a ghost town. It's really <laughs> quiet and strange, but we'll build it up. We'll rebuild it. So there I was, and um, I'm meditating now, and I had picked up my old bad habit of marijuana because, well, now it's legal. So, all right. You know, I gave it up in 1982. No, no, because then I picked it up again for five years. Then 1988, I picked it up again and I put it down a few months later. So it's been 30 years. It was um, 1988. So it was over 30 years that I hadn't touched it. It reminded me of that story of that man in the big book. After 25 years of not drinking, he was just as sick. Well, I was just as addicted to it as I was then. And with meditation, someone asked me, well, you know, do you feel as relaxed as when you do your marijuana? And I said, yes, actually I do. So in August of 2020, I put down the marijuana and it's been two years. I don't need another program for that. <laughs> and now I do flirt a little with alcohol. And uh, so I'm just outing myself. And I said yesterday, you know, when I used to teach, I'd come home and I take a nap. And now I do get up early, I get up like 4.35, 30 in the morning. So 
I'm getting tired. And I thought, well, maybe if I nap instead of going for the drink, because it's usually a lull in the afternoon and I'm a little bored. And okay, let me make myself a drink. So yesterday at work, I took a nap. I'll, I'll fill you in next time I speak. How I, <laughs> I don't want to say never because I still do get joy from it. And I don't think it's gotten to the point where food did and, mar and marijuana did. So in my remaining time, I just want to say that I also was exposed to um, a man who does a lot of emotional sobriety work. And Bill Wilson, in his letter to the grapevine in 1988, said that the next frontier is emotional sobriety. And I feel that I'm ready for that. It's like our step six and seven. I am ready to not take things personally, to uh, lower my expectations, get rid of perfectionism, my dear Nanette, and to just embrace life as life is. It's not fair. It's not. I want to be right, but I really want to connect more. So I'm going to have to give up some of my old ideas because they're not serving me anymore. And I do emotional sobriety work. I read and I go to a workshop and that has enhanced my program. And then I heard about nonviolent communication. Now, maybe this is an outside issue, but anything that helps, I just have to pass on to you. And it's a way of looking at things just observing without evaluating and going beneath. When the person says, I think, what are they feeling? What are they needing? You know, going below the surface. So that's my time. And my, my hope is that you heard something that inspired you and that will keep you coming back and give yourself a little love. Thank you.